friend will help you move, but a true friend will help you move a body. Welcome to episode 19, where I interview Lydia Denworth, contributing editor to Scientific America, writer for Psychology Today, as well as the author of Friendship, The Evolution, Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's Fundamental Bond. We discuss how we build friendships and how the scientific study of friendship shows their importance to our survival, not just in business, but in life in general. But before we get to the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to you, the listeners. This shit, this shit is currently being listened to in 10 countries. So today I'm going to give a shout out to all the listeners in Germany. Germany in the house. Thanks for being here, guys. Now on to the show. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. New research by a Michigan State University scholar shows that the power of friendship gets stronger with age and may even be more important than family relationships. Which doesn't surprise me one fucking bit since my personal experience is that families are messy and unreliable and it's your friends that you can depend on. But too often in life, it's our friendships that take a back seat to our more pressing day-to-day responsibilities. Take a moment to listen in on my conversation with Lydia Denworth to hear about her research into the biological, psychological, and evolutionary foundations of friendships, the importance of these friendships for long-term happiness, and how we can learn to cultivate, nurture, and invest in our friendships. Lydia, I'm so excited to have you here today. Growing up, I thought I was going to be a biologist. I even have a bachelor's degree in biology with that I do nothing with. Um, so for me, being able to interview you, tie sort of my love of science with my love of relationship building makes me very, very excited. Well, that is great. I'm very pleased to be here. I did not know all of that. <laughs> yes. And what you might not know also is you and I share mutual friends. We're going to be talking about friendship today. And you and I share mutual friends in Lisa Nickerson and Terry Trespicio. Ah, very good. After seeing your interview on lunch with Lisa, which mm-hmm. I also was on lunch with Lisa, I was her guinea pig. Ah, I was excellent. the first one. Um, <laughs> I bought and tore through your book titled Friendship, the Evolution, Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's Fundamental Bond. So everything I do, and maybe it's my science background, everything that I do, even in my business, in my entrepreneurship, stems from research and definition. Mm-hmm. So I would like to begin our conversation by asking you, you wrote a book on friendship. So how do you define it? Ah, that is a very good question. And it's part of why it took a very long time for scientists to study friendship in the way that they do and the stories that I'm telling in the book. It's because friendship is a little amorphous, a little squishy. People have a hard time defining it. I, as is my want, to go with what the scientists have decided, which is essentially that friendship, a really good quality friendship comes down to three things. It has three minimum requirements. It's long lasting and stable. It's positive, so it makes you feel good. And it's cooperative or reciprocal. So there's a back and forth that comes with it. And and that's, and it's, 
you know, a lot of us have other ideas about what friendship requires and all those things can go on layered on top, but I think it's really helpful to keep it to this sort of straightforward pack of three things. And what that translates into is being a steady, reliable presence, helping to make the people that you love feel good and be helpful, show up, reciprocate, you know, don't be lopsided in your relationships. Yeah. So we all have friends. We all make friends. Friendship seems to be a hallmark of human behavior. Yes. Um, so despite that, why do you think this study, the formalized scientific study of friendship is relatively new? Like what happened in the last two decades that's caused a shift for scientists thinking like, oh, we need to look at this differently. We need to study friendships differently. Well, a couple of things happened. So first of all, some people thought of it as somewhat frivolous, you know, in the past. And we just were talking about it was a little bit hard to define. And scientists need something to measure and something they need a definition and then something to measure in order to have variables and outcomes to look at. So we had to get past that. But the really important thing that happened is that really beginning in the 70s and 80s, sociologists and epidemiologists started doing long-term work in humans where they were following people for, you know, a decade or more. And mostly they were following them medically, you know, like checking their blood pressure every two years, things like that. They were looking for predictors of health and well-being. But some of those studies also incorporated social relationships and how connected people were. And one of the things that came out of this work was that around about 1979, the first study came out showing that there was a link between how long you lived and how social you were. It was a correlation, right? We didn't know that one causes the other, but it was this really striking finding that the people who reported having more social connection in their lives at the beginning of this study, nine years later, were more likely to be alive than the people who did not. And that opened up decades of of intense work on trying to look at this link between social relationships and health. And what we now understand is that friendship is as important for your health as diet and exercise. It plays a critical role in our health. It affects our cardiovascular system, our immune system, our cognitive health. So your risk of dementia, your risk of, of depression, how well you sleep, how well you respond to stress, all kinds of things, as well as how long you live. And so once we understood that this there's this biological effect of friendship and that it's, an, it's a public health issue. Then it became a much more important uh, thing for people to study. The other thing we found was that it turns out that there is an evolutionary story here and that there are real advantages to being good at making and maintaining friends. And that in studying that, we discovered friendship or something like it in a lot of other species, which told us that it is more universal, more important. It's it's not just a cultural byproduct of language and society. In the beginning of your book, in the very first paragraph, you take us to the island of Cayo Santiago. Right. And the study of the, I'm going to, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this correct. Re, re, Rasus macaw? Rhesus. Rhesus macaques. Yeah. 
Okay. So thank you for fixing that. You take us to the, to the island and how these studies are shaping our understanding of friendship and social bonds. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is one of the things that you find all through my book is that I, in addition to looking at the studies of friendship in humans, I'm looking at the studies of friendship in animals and other animals, because that's where a lot of the most interesting groundbreaking work has been done in recent years. And it is a big part of how we know there's there is, there's this deeper story to friendship. And so I started on that island, partly because it's just such a fascinating place and, and it's, it's such a sort of scene setting um, <laughs> kind of thing. You know, if you're a writer, you want to write a mm-hmm. book about an island full of monkeys. Uh, it's somewhat dramatic, but, but also I kind of wanted right away to signal that this book about friendship is not what you think. It's not going to be the same old, same old, right? We're, we're going to be looking at friendship in the way that biologists and neuroscientists are looking at friendship um, and and that this is how they're doing it. They're looking in other animals. So monkeys, especially, I mean, they're looking in a variety of species, but non-human primates like monkeys and apes are really interesting because they have so much social behavior. So on this island, they're like, um, and their brains are similar to us, but the really the scientists are like, gossip columnists, they're, they're recording who does what to whom and what happens to them because of it, right? And you can do that with monkeys in a way that's harder to do with humans. And you can follow them for generations, which is what they're doing. And it's been fascinating. So they're finding all kinds of things about how sociability is heritable, how the different pieces of behavior that make up your social interactions and, and it's research on animals like that over time that told us that friendship and strong social bonds are one of the most important things we can do for to live a long life. They also made the link between longevity and also reproductive success and and how many friends these animals had. And so it's uh, it's fundamentally important science and it's also just fun. (laughs) I was in Zambia last year. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I did a whole tour through South Africa. But when I was in Zambia, I would take morning walks around the grounds of the hotel. And the mm-hmm. hotel was uh, conservation. So you could get up and walk by zebras and giraffes. I loved walking by the baboons. Yes. <laughs> with, the, with the babies on their backs. And I loved how nimble they were running around with these babies on their backs. And I know you have a story about a baboon named Sylvia. <laughs> I do. And I what do. we can learn... <laughs> from from Sylvia's attitude. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, so what I was just saying about evolutionary, the evolutionary side of this, in many ways, we have Sylvia to thank because Sylvia was a baboon who lived in Botswana in Africa, and she was nasty. <laughs> she was not very nice, really. She was quite high ranking in her troop. She spent most of her time with her daughter, Sierra, who was her primary grooming partner. And um, and then sadly, as happens when you are a baboon who lives in Africa, a Sierra was eaten by a lion. And so Sylvia found herself alone. And the group of primatologists had been studying this troop of baboons for some time. And they were really surprised when they saw what Sylvia did after Sierra died. And that was that she started making overtures to the other baboons. She seemed to be trying to make friends. 
And because baboons have a little grunt that they give that means that signals that they're coming in peace, you know, that they're not, um, they're not being nasty. And of course, not only were the primatologists surprised, but the baboons were surprised <laughs> that <laughs> Sylvia was, that Sylvia was being nice and they were a little taken aback. But, um, but so noticing this behavior in Sylvia basically got these primatologists thinking, you know, what? is in it for her. Why would she be doing that? And, you know, we thought she was going to gonna go off and, and just be grumpy and by herself. And instead she seems to be looking for new relationships. And I mean, we can imagine what that might mean, why a human would do that, but you can't make assumptions about baboons or other species. So what they did was they gathered up Really, there are two. There were two main uh, sites in Africa that had been following baboons for a very long time, and so they gathered years and years of data, and they basically looked at a measurement they had of how often the baboons were nice to each other. Is the sort of way to describe what it was. And they compared that to their reproductive success, so how many babies they had and how healthy those babies were to that and to their longevity, how long they lived. And what they found much to their surprise was that having strong social bonds was the most important predictor of reproductive success and longevity. And that is not what anybody expected. The primatologists thought that baboons who have this very important dominance hierarchy that surely it mattered where you were in the dominance hierarchy more than anything else. And it wasn't that it was unimportant, that it had no effect, but the strong social bonds mattered more. And that was such a huge deal that it was uh, 2003, it was a big paper in science, which is one of the most prestigious journals that there is, because it really showed that these relationships played a role even in this other creature. I mean, and I'll say that in humans, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that the sort of epidemiologists noticed that there was a link between social relationships and health, but they thought, well, that could be that you're more likely to survive if you have a friend around to drive you to the hospital, say, should you need to go, right? But baboons can't drive each other to the hospital. <laughs> so why would it be that, that, it's still helpful for baboons and they still live longer if they have relationships. And that is what led everyone to think there must be something else going on under the skin to, to use the phrase that biologists use. Um, and that it's affecting how your body works and how your immune system works. And now we know that all of that is true. We know, and there's still a whole lot more to discover, I think, but we know that, that friendship on the one hand for the good and loneliness, um, on the other hand, there's sort of two ends of the same continuum, right? About how socially integrated you are, but they affect your heart rate, your blood pressure, your immune system. I think I said a bunch of these things already. And so it's that that is connected to how long you live, but then also this, yeah, this, uh, Basically, there has been a survival of not just the fittest, but the friendliest. Yeah, that was going to be my question. So if there's an evolutionary advantage to building these strong bonds, what does that do to Darwinism in that conversation about the survival of the fittest? Well, that's what I mean. So the important thing to understand about natural selection is there's not only one way to survive. And so there are multiple ways you can do it. But what this suggests is that being friendly and making and maintaining uh, good relationships has been one of the best ways to survive, right? It's the best path. It's the most likely to pay off um, rather than being a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, 
And it explains, it helps explain. I mean, if you think about humans almost never were, have lived on their own. You know, when they do, they tend to be people like the Unabomber, you know? <laughs> and so it's odd for a human to live yeah. entirely alone with no social connection. And we've always lived in groups and it's part of why our brains are as big as they are is to be able to navigate the social complexities of living in groups. And yeah, we do better if we have a try, if we have a, a group, I mean, really what friendship is about you get a lot of rewards. It's rewarding in your brain. It's fun. It's pleasurable, but it's, you do all of that. So you keep coming back for more. And then ultimately you have those friends there when you need them, right? In a crisis. And so like baboons, should the lion come running across the plane, it's much better to be a baboon in a group than it is to be a baboon on your own. And quite literally, that's what friendship is about. So I think we need to talk about how do we build and maintain friendships? I and mean, friendship is not something that happens overnight. It takes time to make a friend and be a friend. And in your book, there's a line, and I'm going to paraphrase here. Um, you said people tend to leave their friendships with no cultivation to grow as if they are there by the roadside, expecting them to keep going by force or inertia. And so my question, why is it so hard for us to stay connected, to keep in touch, to tend to our relationships, even though we know how important they are? Why is it so hard for us to maintain relationships or friendships? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, one reason is, of course, because human relationships are messy. But another is that, first of all, I'm not sure. I am not convinced that everybody knows or agrees that friendship is as important as I think it is. Because one of the things we have seen traditionally is that while we may really love our friends, they often drop to the bottom of our priority list. So that if work becomes busy or we have family demands on us, our friends are often the first thing to go. And I'm not saying that work and family don't matter. Of course they do. But I do think that sometimes we've been a bit too quick to think that we can cancel on friends or, you know, to say, yes, 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 let's get together, but then not actually follow through. Partly because we don't really appreciate you know, how much we get from those relationships. The other thing though is you mentioned in the question that it takes time to develop friends and it takes time to make, maintain friends. And a lot of us don't have very much time in our day, right? And so it, it is a strain. And this is a reason to, first of all, for people to really acknowledge. So the, the, I loved this research when I found it. This guy at the University of Kansas actually counted up the number of hours it takes to go from an acquaintance to a friend. And he found that it was about 50 hours of time together to consider someone a friend and about 90 hours to be a good friend and 200 hours to consider someone your best friend. Now, 200 hours is a lot of time. It's less time when you're in high school or college and you spend all your time yeah. in, when it's not pandemic, <laughs> a mm -hmm. pandemic, you spend all your time with your friends, right? And in college, you, you live together, you eat together, you study together. And that's why some of those relationships are so fundamental in our lives, right? Because we don't get that ch chance again to, to spend that. But as adults, we don't always realize just how much time we have to put in. You also have to make yourself a little bit vulnerable uh, to do, you know, and that's, we're not also comfortable with that. And friendship is a voluntary relationship. It, it's, we're not legally bound. That sometimes I think is part of why we have treated 
friendships as less important in the grand scheme of things. And so, I don't know, I think it's one of these things, I I don't want to be adding to people's to-do list, (laughs) but what I do hope is that understanding this science sort of gives you permission to hang out with your friends and to realize that when you do, you're doing something really good for yourself, right? This is, and so go to dinner with your girlfriend and call it health, um, healthy, or I guess in the time of coronavirus, you know, (laughs) self-care, it totally is, but, you know, connect however you need to connect to stay safe while there's a pandemic on, but connect and can, and know that you're doing something good for yourself. Yeah. I love that you brought up this study of how many hours it takes to build a friendship. My first book was released in June and the The subtitle of it is Networking Your Way to More Friends, More Adventures, and More Success. And I put more friends first for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like in business, if you build relationships, authentic relationships, the success will come out of those relationships. You have to build the friendships first. I get asked questions by my clients. It's mostly the questions are, well, how long does it take? When can I ask? When will they buy from me? When will they, you know, hire my company to do a project? And I always say that this is a long haul game. Maybe 2% of the people we meet in a business environment are going to decide that day whether or not they want to work with us in any capacity. We have to build a relationship. We have to get to the famous tagline of no like trust So I love that you brought up the science behind that because I've been trying to articulate it in the sense of you have to build a relationship. You have to have this many experiences with somebody before they know whether they trust you or like you enough to do business together. That's absolutely right. And even that's to do business, but also, uh, you know, to be a good friend, whether they whether they want to be your friend. So it's, yes, you have to put in the time, even if you like someone right from the start. And yes, especially on the business side, it is, I do think there really has to be that trust and loyalty and a, a sense of, you know, authenticity to the relationship. Yeah, and being inve- I think when you're friends and you authentically you've connected with somebody, you are, inv- I always say you want people to be invested in your success. And when you have a friendship with somebody, you do go out of the way for them to make sure that they are successful or they, that you can help them or feel, or that they feel comfortable in a situation. Well, and I, I'll just add that I do think that's a really, a really important part of friendship. It, it's the, when I talked about the definition, I said that it's cooperative or reciprocal, but what that really means is that there has to be a back and forth, a give and take, yeah. and it can't be lopsided. So if people are thinking about friendships, as they're networking and building their businesses, they really need to remember how important it is that they are giving back out to the world, right? That they are doing for other people what they want people to do for them. And I think sometimes we forget that. (laughs) We're busy asking for favors, but we don't spend time. How do you think people can show that they appreciate friendship? I think people don't understand that even the smallest gestures really do make a difference. Oh, they really do. I can speak to it in my world, which is writing, but there are some people who are really willing to mention your book on social media or write a blurb or just give a shout out. Mm-hmm. But there, there are other people where you ask them to do that and they, you know, they ignore you. They don't even respond to your email. Now, of course, people get get swamped, but it's noticeable 
who's out there kind of paying it forward, I guess, and looking to promote other people. And then when it's their turn and they have something to promote, you're really glad to help because Mm -hmm. you know that they would do it for you. I mean, that's my world. That's how I see the give and take. But there are real friendships behind a lot of that interaction um, that, and I've worked, I mean, I, because I write, I work from home, even before the pandemic, I've always worked from home. So, you know, I have to work hard to reach out and get to know people in a way that, you know, it's not, you're not just working down the hall from someone. And so I used to go to conferences to do that. I used to, you know, make a point of making myself vulnerable and reaching out and saying, oh, I'd like to know you. I think we do something similar, but it does ultimately work in that it does help you build these relationships. And then you have people that you can confer with and talk to, but then when they ask you for something, you have to make sure you, you deliver or say, or say that you can't, you know, if it's something you can't do, be honest. I'm not saying you have to do everything that everybody asks you for, because some things are, are not possible or reasonable, but that's, you know, if a friendship is too lopsided or a relationship is too lopsided, it's all give on one side and Mm -hmm. take on the other. It's not a healthy relationship and it won't last. Right. Yeah. There's no reciprocity reflex to kick in. No reciprocity there. And so whether that's more of a business relationship or a friendship or both, it, you know, the same principle applies. When the pandemic first happened, so mid-March, we are all told we have to work from home. We're self-isolating. We're quarantining. We saw this mad sort of like dash to everybody zooming and happy hours and people connecting with people they hadn't talked to in years. There was this this rush and this urge to feel connected. I wonder now, months into this pandemic, is that urge still there? I wonder if you think that people are still have that urge for connection as they did right at the beginning when when it was more like you don't know what you got till it's gone. Poof, it's gone. <laughs> yes, I've been I've been using that line a lot, saying there's a reason why there's so many songs with that lyric in it. <laughs> um, and uh, I think we absolutely still feel that we miss the connection that we had and we want it. I do think one thing that's happened. So at the beginning, you're right. There was this rush and there was a kind of panic of how are we going to do this? And so then everybody got super creative and put a lot of time and energy into that. And then we all got exhausted by that. And I think some, I was really struck by what you mentioned that there was a lot of kind of nostalgia and looking back to people you'd known ages ago and reaching out. And I think that's kind of lovely that, that, that this inspired that, but I don't expect those kinds of relationships to suddenly have been turned into regular friend, you know, friendships Mm -hmm. in the way that your other relationships do. I think the thing that has happened now is that a lot of us are seeing our social circles contract a bit. So we're, we're seeing and communicating regularly with fewer people mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, what you really need, quality matters more than quantity when it comes to friendship in terms of your health. It's not that quantity is unimportant and there are other ways in which bumping into people and having a diverse and wide network of friends can be really good for you. But Fundamentally, if I had to pick, I would say that quality matters most. And I think what we're doing is we are zeroing in on the handful of people who are sustaining us in the way that we need it now. And each of us is different in what we need now. We're also all a little bit different in our risk tolerances during this pandemic, whether you're willing to have somebody walk through your house to go to your backyard or, you know, whatever it is. And some of us just have 
it's not just our own predilection, it's our situations. You know, if you have underlying conditions or live with an elderly relative or something like that, you might be much more careful. In fact, it's navigating friendship right now. It's kind of like navigating consent, you know, in sexual relationships. <laughs> you have to be honest and respectful. And, you know, I wish I could say I made that up, but I heard it somewhere, but I, I grabbed onto it because it is so true. And so some relationships are not surviving that. But what matters is that we keep our core relationships intact and that however we connect with them, we're doing it in this way that keeps in mind the, the definition of friendship. We're steady, reliable presence. We make them feel good and they do us and we're helpful. And there's a back and forth and a reciprocity. And if you're hitting those three points, you're doing well. I was going to ask you, do you have <laughs> one last thing to tell the listeners, but I think you just told them. Yes, that's it. However you want to connect is fine. I don't care, but make sure it's steady, positive and cooperative. That's great. Lydia's latest book, Friendship, the Evolution, Biology, and Extraordinary Power of Life's Fundamental Bond is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, as well as other locations that I will post in the show notes. Yes. Lydia, thank you for being here, reminding thank us of the power of friendships. And that Call is- Call your friends. It's, it's a two-way street. <laughs> it is a two-way street. Thank you, Julie, for having me. It was great. Thanks. Thank you so much. All okay, right. Bye. Take care. Bye. My inner biologist absolutely loved that conversation with Lydia. I want to bring us back to the first thing that Lydia said about friendship. To call someone a friend, the relationship must be three things. Long-lasting, positive, and it must involve cooperation. That's the three-legged stool that friendship rests on. Remove a leg of that stool and your friend may not be there for you when you need them. Your friendships can't be lopsided. You can't expect a friendship to grow without cultivation or effort. There will be multiple times in our lives when we need our friends. But in order to have great friends, you need to be a great friend. O. Henry said, no friendship is an accident. So do this today. Pick up the phone and call a friend to catch up. Don't worry over the amount of time that has passed since the last time you talked. Reach out and catch up. So I scoured the internet for cocktails that had the, the word friendship in the name, and I found three. Beautiful friendship, friendship drink, and golden friendship. Golden friendship is totally different than a golden shower. I opted for beautiful friendship, even though it was the most involved drink of all three. It just sounded good. It's a cocktail of Cointreau, dark rum, lime juice, simple syrup, Tamarind concentrate. Listen, people, if you don't know about tamarind concentrate or tamarind juice and you aren't using it in your cocktails, you don't know what you're missing. I stuck up on cans of Goya tamarind, especially good for tamarind margaritas with mezcal. Uh, okay, so tamarind concentrate, fresh mint, cinnamon, and soda water. I know, you're like, how is all that shit going to come together and taste good? Trust me, it just does. Here's how to pull it all together. Muddle some mint in simple syrup in the bottom of a shaker. Add the Cointreau, rum, lime juice, tamarind concentrate, and a pinch of cinnamon and fill with ice. Shake that shit, strain over a Collins glass, top with soda, and stir to combine. Garnish with mint sprigs. I'll put a link to the full recipe in the show notes so you can make it for yourself and your friends. Because if we've learned anything today, it's that you gotta have friends if you want to live a long and happy life. As always, thanks for being here with me each and every week. Thanks again to our listeners in Germany. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe, give it a rating, and share it with your friends. You know, 
the ones that are going to help you live a long, happy life. Cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works. Thank you.